0: Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Nishar Fatima, Associate Director, Global Client Services, Space Matrix Design Consultants, interviews Erica Wagner, Vice President of Global Real Estate for PepsiCo, as they discuss A Path Through Intangible Barriers with Erica Wagner. So I thank you all for being here. And I'm going to let the ladies introduce uh, themselves um, a little bit. We're talking about um, a path through intangible barriers. And we've got Nishara Fatima, who's the Associate Director, Global Client Services, Space Matrix Design Consultants, as well as Erica Wagner, Vice President of PepsiCo Global Real Estate. So uh, please warm welcome and look forward to hearing from the ladies. Thank you.
1: Hello, everybody. It's a great bunch after the lunch, so I'm impressed. Speak loud. Uh, hi, can you all hear me? Okay. So as she mentioned, uh, I'm based out of New York. I work for Space Matrix, and I manage global accounts. Uh, I would jump right into Erica because it's about her, and it's not about me today. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Erica? So
0: I'm Erica Wagner, as was uh, referenced, and really it's about you today. It's not about me. Um, And If I knew it was about me, I probably wouldn't have agreed to do this. Um, I've been with PepsiCo for five minutes, um, actually five months, Um, so I'm new to the team. I have my team in the back, and if you're going to stay and heckle me, you can move along. Um, But it's a pleasure to be here today, and I'm just going to share a little bit about, I think, my career and sort of the nexus between uh, personal and and professional life and how that kind of coexists.
1: So I think I met Erica in 2014 in Singapore when I was based out of there. And first meeting and I'm like, I want to follow her. She She's going to be my mentor. That was my first feeling. And since then I've been following her career path and it's been so inspiring. And every time I go to her LinkedIn page and I tell my husband this is what I want in my LinkedIn page. You know? So I, when I got this topic to speak about what are the tangible barriers or what could you share with today's millennials, I couldn't think of anybody but her. Okay. So uh, I think jumping right into the topic, as we say, intangible barriers, I would love to start with the question, uh, how do you define intangible barriers? And if you could share an example or two with the audience where we could learn from that, what, how you feel the intangible barriers are.
0: So, I mean, I heard something recently that resonated with me, and um, it was that we think that comfort is our birthright, um, and we feel, you know, we sort of do everything we can to kind of go back to comfort uh, when we're uncomfortable. Um, And the reality is that creativity is our birthright, and as you heard Duncan, or most of you heard Duncan speak this morning, he reflected a lot on curiosity and, and creativity that we have when we're children, and somehow, as, you know, the years go by, it becomes, you know, less and less. And so, you know, that's what I think about with intangible barriers is that it really just is um, about taking what doesn't come naturally, unfortunately, anymore for maybe some of us, like curiosity and creativity, and leveraging that to kind of poke through things that feel insurmountable. Um, And an example I can give... um, which I, I don't know if it's a great example, but um, I just came from Akamai Technologies, a wonderful company. Some of my team is here from, from there as well. Uh, and one of the things that I did uh, when I was there, I participated with the team, um, was getting them to a headquarter decision. Uh, and getting them to getting the leadership to a headquarter decision was far more challenging um, in that particular environment than one would imagine it's um, the leadership team is a bit more consensus based um, which which in and of itself means that getting to decisions is harder um, and there was very um, there was great nostalgia for the geography we were in which is uh, some refer to as little silicon and Kendall Square the Boston area and um, and there was no real estate available that was uh, on the market kind of classically and uh, the really the objective was to find a headquarters in Kendall Square that was going to uh, be sufficient to consolidate these uh, six buildings. Um, And so that's kind of a tactical description, but the net net was, um, and through, you know, my, uh, one of the things that I I, I do and I coach my team on is it's really important for all of us to understand the business, that our conversations with leaders shouldn't be about real estate. And so I did a lot to understand the business really, really quickly. And because of my network and the blessing of being in this organization for about 14 or 15 years. Um, I and some other colleagues were aware of off-market opportunities that we could sort of uh, finesse into what was necessary for Akamai at the time. Um, and similarly, in terms of getting the leadership to a decision, I had walked into the organization saying, how do you make decisions around uh, around real estate and workplace? And at the time, it was, um, it was pretty rudimentary. It was a spreadsheet and a sign-off. And you know, I, I love Simon Sinek, and so I start with why, and, uh, and we built a business case, and that was what we, because I, when I left the company, and still now I would say this, if somebody's going to play Monday morning quarterback on something that I did, I want there to be a paper trail. Um, I'm also educated as an attorney, so that might have something to do with it, um, and so, you know, it was like, why, why are we doing this? So what is the purpose? Like, where are we now? what are we trying to do, and and what are the options? And um, and there was, in one conversation, a white elephant in the room, and that was Kendall Square, because it would have made a lot of sense, financially and otherwise, to every CFO, uh, to look elsewhere. And what I needed them to root on was like, yes, we care about being here. And they had not said it until it was sort of on paper and in front of them. So hopefully that's sufficient yeah okay
1: absolutely so while we are talking about career I would also kind of uh, I mean I see a lot of young people in the crowd and we all want to know what are the parameters uh, or what are some of the tangible aspects uh, we should be considering while we are making a transition to from one job to another right we uh, whether it's in your career is it intentional or it's based on situational could you share some light uh, on that
0: um, so my career pathing is extremely intentional, and if you would like mentorship on that, I can help you, uh, but not all at once, <laughs> um, and it's grown more intentional over time, candidly, um, and it's through, you know, I had one particular opportunity, I'll actually probably share it if you ask the question I think you might later, um, that was I hadn't been quite as intentional, and that schooled me very quickly on looking at the things that were important. So I, at that point, had made the decision to remain on the client side, um, and um, I look at everything from the leadership attrition, how long they've been there, if it's public or if it's private, how's the company performing, is there a 10K I can review, um, what do other people say? I mean Glassdoor is like, you know, a fine thing to look at. It's a reference point. It's not something I would necessarily rely upon in every case. Um, but I, you know, it's it's the second analog thing that I do and I put it in a spreadsheet and I measure the opportunity and I look at, you know, is this somewhere that I want to be for 3 years or 5 years or I haven't been anywhere for 10 years, but I'll say with PepsiCo, I did evaluate it from that perspective. So um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very intentional, and I, I care a lot about where I'm going. And um, the one thing I will say, and it's interesting because it's true of PepsiCo, it was true of um, of Akamai, especially when you're in these more senior roles, is there's not a lot of transparency around the team. You don't usually get to meet the team in advance, um, and so it requires doing a lot of research about how are they going to feel coming in, how can I sort of meet them where they are. Um, so that's the one thing that is is a bit more challenging. Um, but if you kind of take the holistic circumstances, you'll probably make kind of the, the right decisions. And then the one other thing I would say is figure out in your network who knows people at the company that you're looking at and talk to them. Um, because that has has, has uh, contributed to go and no-go decisions for me.
1: So between all this uh, moving and transition and all, as a core, you have your core values as a person, right? So while you're making this transition moves in your career, do you, do you live by any guiding principles or how, what drives you to, to, to that point of making that transition that, you know, these things, I must have it. Otherwise, this is not a good move for me, you know?
0: Well, so I don't think that it's going to respond directly. I do have guiding principles, and they translate both professionally and personally. Um, and so they are be humble, practice gratitude, and harness bravery. So that is true both both in my family and with my friends and my social life and, and certainly in my professional life.
1: So from social life, uh, you have been huge on being philanthropist, a sports person, you're, you're a marathon runner, as we can see on some of the photographs uh, rolling here. And uh, along with that, you are a mom and a wife as well. So how all of these contributes to your success, personally and professionally? Because a lot of us women I see almost 60%, 70% women in the audience, and we want to know how you balance that, and you do it very well for the fact, I, as much I know it from my personal introduction to yourself, uh, we would love to know how you balance it so perfectly and still be able to thrive in both directions. You
0: know? Well, so... Um Transparently, I'm never in balance. Um, it, everything's always out of balance, and it's sort of like, you know, the goal is always to kind of get back to harmony. Uh, and I have a lot of, of love and help and support. Um, the common themes, professionally and personally, are that I have really great teams. I have a great team at home. I have an incredible husband uh, who is a great advocate for me professionally and personally um, I have incredible kiddos um, who you know are similarly empathic <laughs> um, and so I'm blessed in that respect and I've been blessed in all of my professional experiences, at least for the past 15 years, I'm trying to think back further than that, um, to have great teams or to have the privilege of building great teams. And so I think that matters a lot. Um, I've never wanted to be the smartest person in the room, uh, because I feel like, you know, we hear a lot about diversity and diversity is super important to come up with, with more innovative, creative, and better ideas. And so, um, my family, and for those of you who don't know, maybe this is helpful, but my kids are all adopted. And so, uh, four of my girls, um are all extremely extroverted. And um, if you don't know me that well, I'm on the introvert spectrum. And so it is really exhausting. It would exhausting. be hard
1: for me to believe that. <laughs>
0: it's true. Um, it means I'm very exhausted after these things, the summits. Um, it also means after a 12 or 14 hour day that I'm really exhausted going home and, and uh, being ready for, for four extroverted children out of five. Um, and so, you know, but I remind myself that they're part of my great team and they're the diversity in my team. And that's the way I feel when I go to work as well. So I think those are the Common themes, maybe that exist. Yeah,
1: great. Okay. So that brings me to some of the negative side of it, uh, in terms of what you have to share. One or two failures with the audience where you have learned it, and I know you have more successes than failure for sure. Nope, nope. But <laughs> we would love to know uh, one of the failure which you think uh, you know that could have been better, or you could have done something differently.
0: So there's two that come to mind. Uh, one was a little bit more than, uh, of a trip than a failure, but for my Cornet New England colleagues who are here, you'll appreciate this. Um, but I'll share both of them, because they're quick. Um, so I was 28 years old when I was um, afforded the privilege of becoming the director of corporate real estate at Adidas Group, or Adidas, for the Americans. Um, and uh, I was at a Coronet event. I think it was an Eastern Regional Symposium. And I wanted to be 28. Um, and so I dressed like I was 28. Or maybe 25. Uh, who knows? Um, thank God I had mentors, uh, and one of my mentors um, who—and I think I actually served on the like as a liaison to young leaders. Like I was, I was visible in this organization at the time, so I was probably not thinking. Uh, but one of my mentors pulled me aside and just said, "Hey, do you want to be in the boardroom with the CEO and the CFO?" And I was like, "Yes." And she's like, "Not when you dress like that." And um, and, and another mentor was like jewelry and shoes. Jewelry and shoes—that's what you can go with. Everything else, um, you know. And so, I learned from that experience. You can do a lot more when you get older and you're a bit more tenured, but not when you're you're 28 uh, in, in a more senior level role. So that was one tripping that I, I quick I quickly fixed. Um, the the other was more salient and hopefully applicable, and and maybe some of you can apply this um, to yourselves if you're in this situation. But I accepted a position. It was the hardest uh, role of my life, and it was also the most. Um, pivotal, uh, with a company that was a biopharmaceutical company. Um, and there was a, a ton of challenges in this particular business, um, that I won't, I won't detail. Um, and I reported into the CFO and the CFO, when I came into the organization, um, I was like the fourth or fifth kind of senior level person because they were sort of forming this and, um, this leadership to, with all these acquired companies that they had. And then over time, there were about 20 of the leadership team. Um, by the time that I was at this crucible, um, I was like five of the you know twenty that had been there, so kind of in the same position. So he had attrited clearly through a lot of leadership, which is just a message. But but I found that I had lost credibility um, with him, and um, and thankfully I was self enough, self aware enough to recognize that. Probably the company wasn't, you know, a good career move for me to, to remain with. But putting that aside, if I couldn't influence change to get to business decisions, then it wasn't going to make sense for me to continue to hit my head against the rock wall. So that was actually a barrier that I didn't, um, you know, I didn't navigate. But um, but I think gratefully. <laughs> yeah.
1: So uh, this brings me to our last question from the heavy question set that what would you advise your 20 years old self other than the dressing part? <laughs>
0: Uh, my 20-year-old self. So, well, you know, what my husband has this saying um, that's, that's not as, you know, provocative as what was shared by Candy this morning. But uh, sometimes, sometimes the right thing to do is what sucks the most. And um, for all my friendly introverts out there, I can tell you early on in my career, there were countless times I did not want to go to a networking event. There were countless times I didn't want to walk into a room and make small talk. Um, or for my friend in the back, big talk, um, and uh, and and I just I would like describe it as like I just want to crawl under the carpet, and I would show up. Um, because I was encouraged to to do that. And I'm blessed today with great colleagues and great friends and a really, really large network to draw on. Um, And that is valuable. It's been valuable. Like, when leaders look at me to bring me into a company, Akamai, in fact, referenced that as one of the the key reasons that they wanted to bring me in was because I had such a breadth of network. And it certainly helped with the headquarter decision that I made earlier, or that I mentioned earlier. So I would just say, like, do the things that sometimes you don't really feel like doing because they're going to produce, uh, certainly probably near-term, but certainly long-term value.
1: Perfect. So uh, tr- staying true to the summit's uh, theme, which is it's, it's personal, it's not about business always. I wanted to end the session with a rapid fire, like a classic interview. Uh, so let's do a quick rapid fire. It's a combination of some uh, fun questions and some w- little work related. All right, are we ready? I'm ready. We have 60 seconds, so uh, we'll go. Okay. Uh, given a choice, you would have more time or more energy? Energy. Uh, workplace planning, innovation team you would like to lead or transaction or portfolio management? Innovation. <laughs> Your least favorite millennial terminology? Ooh, lazy. <laughs> Occasionally working from home or always working in the office? Mm, neither. <laughs> Which one you would prefer?
0: Oh, home. Home. <laughs> In a hole. No, just kidding. <laughs>
1: so given a superpower, would you no, rather... I'm
0: actually, I, let me fix that. I would, not, I would work in the office because it would make me uncomfortable and it's the right thing to do. And you engage with your team and that's how you grow people and that's how you grow yourself. So that's, okay. like the, that's the best answer.
1: Perfect. <laughs> not so the comfortable one. If you have given a superpower, between invisibility and time uh, travel, which one you would choose? Invisibility. Invisibility. Coworking space or short-term lease? Short-term lease. Self-driving car versus car with chauffeur? Car with
0: chauffeur. <laughs>
1: <laughs> scuba drive, uh, scuba dive or skydive? Sky. And the last one, if you have to skip a meal, would that be breakfast, lunch or dinner?
0: <laughs> you don't know me well enough. I skip them all, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So I would definitely skip breakfast and lunch. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Yeah. So that, with that, we open up for the questions for, from the audience. I'd like to ask about uh, going home to your children like you said, does it um, makes you more tired or does it re- regenerate regenerate you
0: yeah, no, so going home to my children, um, I mean, when you're an extrovert, my understanding of the definition, sorry, when you're an extrovert, you gain energy from people, large groups oftentimes, and when you're an introvert, uh, you you don't, and one-on-one is, is typically better. So if I was walking into my home and there was one child, then I would be en- energized or neutral perhaps, but if I'm walking with four which, or five, uh, which is typical, um, it's not extremely energizing, so there's a lot of self-talk that happens, you know, on the commute to get me ready. But then there's bedtime for them. So,
1: Any other one? I guess we are good. Thank you very much. If you, you need any career advice, do ping her and reach out to her. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for tuning in to What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org podcast.